I'm Annabelle Bly, and you're listening to the European Skeptics Podcast, the real ESP experience. You're listening to the ESP, the European Skeptics Podcast, an independent weekly show in support of European level actions within the skeptical movement. The ESP is run by individuals representing different skeptical groups from across the continent. This is episode 214. I'm your host, Andras Pinter, and joining me for the show are my co-hosts, Jelena Levin and Pontus Böckmann. Sziasztok! Всем привет! Hey, san, hey, san! Woohoo! All together! Very good! All together, yes. Uh, well, it's it's been a while. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Well, how are things in the places where you are, guys? So, Yelena, you're in the state of Washington. That's right. So, I, I unfortunately found myself in the epicenter of this whole thing in America. So, Seattle yeah. was one of the first places. Well, not quite Seattle, but like next to Seattle. Yeah. So, they mostly imposed the quarantine, so no gatherings over 250 all the events cancelled, big events, even small actually events. We had uh, tickets to go and see um, a smallish band next week that's cancelled. Uh, schools closed uh, as of last week. Everybody works from home. So it's, you know, social distancing 101. Yeah, social distancing 101. Yeah. It's, yeah. Much, it's much the same here in Sweden. The schools are still open, but we have a ban of gathering of more than 500 people. And uh, most people work from home if they can. The shelves on the sto- in the stores are very empty. We couldn't buy rice yesterday. It's crazy stupid. Uh, because there's no real cho- real shortage. It's just that people keep it all at home. So I can't get my rice now. Yeah. <laughs> um, here in, in Hungary, it's, uh, it's a little bit uh, crazy. So now the... Travel ban is not on yet. Uh, we have schools closing down starting Monday. And uh, yeah, as many people as uh, we can have working from home, uh, they, they, they do work from home. Uh, but the screening, it's not... There are a lot of people in the healthcare system complaining that uh, we, we haven't been prepared for this. And the leadership is is not really helping yeah it's it's um people are making it up as they go along that's that's basically how we can uh uh, describe the situation and i am uh grounded for at least a month and a half (laughs) and i have no idea when i can resume work obviously my work involves a whole lot of traveling so yeah yeah Okay. I'm, so I'm 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 currently in a voluntary self quarantine, which is uh, <laughs> not crazy. not particularly difficult to do, but at least not for me. Mm. All of my tours have been cancelled until the end of April. Wow. And I came back from Thailand, which was affected but not very severely, at least according to the numbers. But now I've seen that the numbers are going up even there. So uh, those theories that uh, hot places might not be that severely affected hmm. just got busted. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. Uh, Anders, you mentioned uh, a crazy or stupid advice being circulated. And you mentioned that in, uh, I think it was two weeks ago. Yeah. About yeah. Hungary, there the was this Italian doctor, so-called doctor, who yeah, yeah. had a, there was a pamphlet or advice that was circulating, being translated into Hungarian. Yeah. yeah. Guess what? It's now in Sweden. The same. I think it's the same letter. It's going making the rounds here in Sweden. So people have to go out and say, you know, warn pe- the public, don't trust this. This is not true. So for some reason, this Italian doctor has a great appeal to everybody. But it doesn't end there because I just saw it on Snopes. And not, not now, a couple of days ago, I saw it on Snopes that uh, they were referring to a Facebook post that referred back to someone's uncle who worked in a Chinese hospital. And for some reason, they they found it important to mention that he had a master's degree. And 
the list of those things mentioned on that announcement that that circulates in english is basically the same yeah as if it was a translation of that or something i don't know there are different origin stories for these uh those recommendations but they were all bogus crazy so uh not only because of that but i think we should probably run a, a quick update on what's going on with uh covid19 right mm. so uh first of all i think we should start by mentioning the fact that on the march 11th the who declared its assessment that COVID-19 is now officially characterized as a pandemic. Some news outlets uh, use the term global pandemic. Well, that's redundant. Yeah. <laughs> the word global is somewhat redundant, right? So yeah. the, the prefix pan is a word of Greek origin meaning all. <laughs> yeah. So it's it's basically an epidemic that affects a large number of people and spans across countries and uh, even uh, continents. COVID-19 is currently affecting uh, 156 countries and territories around the world which is huge it's it's a ridiculously high number of countries and territories since the pandemic announcement uh, a covid-19 solidarity response fund has been launched in support of both the who and individual countries to respond to to, to the pandemic it has been created by the UN foundation the swiss philanthropy foundation and the who itself and other interesting thing that some celebrities and world leaders have recently been announced to contract the virus. Mm. I don't know if uh, your country is affected by that as well. There is an epidemic of world leaders getting the part of the epidemic. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and also, as we also already mentioned, countries seem to all have their own approach, even though the WHO has basic guidelines for uh, for the countries as to how to control the outbreaks. But some countries have rapidly increasing rates of infection. And after Italy was recently shut down with strictly limited movements, even within the country, some other countries are following suit or planning to do so. But I think what's probably even more important is that we as citizens need to be cautious and thoughtful about how we handle the situation. Uh, there are those who are worried about the economy. A lot of people are fearing for their livelihoods, which is totally understandable. If you cannot work and you're on a zero-hour contract, for example, how can you make a living? How can you afford to pay your bills? But one thing we definitely have to bear in mind, and that is that these seemingly exaggerated measures that we see all over the world do make a lot of sense, even considering the large-scale economic devastation mm. that they might cause in the long run, right? Mm. The, this this disease can have mild effects on people in a good state of, of general health, but for those with pre-existing conditions, either because of their age or illnesses that result in some kind of immunosuppression, it can be really tough. Mm. And they can easily end up in need of medical attention and no, even we die. See, we see that. We, we, there's a lot of yeah. deaths. Mm. Yeah, exactly. So it is a serious disease, and I'd like to emphasize that we shouldn't try to deny that that fact mm. that it is it is a serious disease so the problem with this pandemic is that if we don't do anything and just let it run its course we will have such a great demand of hospitalization that no country not even the ones with the best healthcare systems will be able to cope with it so the reason for these quarantines that we keep hearing about is exactly that prevention we need to keep the, the, the growing of this epidemic at bay so, so that the system can keep up and as many patients can be saved as possible. The death rates also vary significantly from country to country, but on a global scale, the statistics show a death rate of a little bit short of 3.5%, which is very high. I, I heard that this number is overly exaggerated because we don't yet know how many people are carrying or indeed infected, so it might be within... Um, 1% or even lower. Oh, uh, that's what Donald Trump says. No, that's what that's what epidemiologists say. That's not that's not Donald Trump's words. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But but the more registered cases we have, the more accurate these numbers are. And we have as we speak more than 160,000 cases. Mm. So But the the case that the epidemiologists make for the this number being inflated is that this is not the full picture. So there's probably twice yeah. as many cases uh, could people be. infected. I mean, Sweden has taken the measure, setting that from next week, 
or this week as the show comes out, we are going to stop to count the number of cases. We're not going to test everybody. We're just going to assume that everybody yeah. should stay home and not spread. And then we will definitely lose track on how many is yeah. infected. Yeah, yeah, but it is definitely true that we don't know for sure. Mm. So these numbers can be higher and these numbers can be lower. In some countries, the numbers seem to be higher than this. Mm-hmm. And in some countries, and even even within countries, it, it, it varies. But in some countries, it's much lower than that. So, for example, in I think in uh, Germany, it uh, a couple of days ago, it was it was uh, lower than one percent. Mm. But yeah, it's true. Since we don't know, I for one, I'm in a voluntary self quarantine right now. So I'm not going out. I'm not meeting people. I'm staying home and try to minimize my contact with others. After coming home a couple of days later, I started noticing a couple of uh, symptoms on myself. I have no idea what what I do have, whether I... That was the dengue, wasn't it? Ah, oh, yeah. <laughs> it was a long time ago. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So Relapse. a lot of cases like this are there. And in Hungary, they announced that not everyone will be tested. Only those will be tested who require medical attention. No one else. So if you have mild symptoms... You just you're not going to get tested. That's for sure. Mm. Yeah. So the this is a this is a difficult issue, and countries have a duty to to screen and report and give medical treatment to as many people as possible. But unfortunately, some countries do fail miserably in delivering both the numbers and the services in Europe. Probably the worst is yet to come, but I don't like saying things like that because I don't want panic-like reactions. That doesn't mean we have to rush to the store and pile up two years' worth of toilet papers, that's for sure. True. The recommendation is usually that uh, a couple of days' worth of uh, food and water supply is more than enough as a general preparedness. If it comes to that and you need more than that, especially if it's the authorities that just lock you down then you will have to be taken care of. So what can we do as individuals? First of all, check out the WHO's website where you'll find accurate and reliable information. Don't share anything without checking the sources. And what we definitely don't need is panic. So misinformation can lead to panic. Don't do that, please. Wash your hands regularly and thoroughly with soap or a hand sanitizer. Don't touch your face. Don't touch others' faces. Don't kiss others, wear a mask if you're sick or you think you are, and try to keep some distance from others. Social distancing is the key word here. If you can work from home, do that. Otherwise, be wise and uh, be cautious. And when your country's authorities set up special rules for the situation, please follow them. For example, when uh, large gatherings are banned. In my country, it's a uh, hundred people and more inside. Yeah, and uh, yeah, and outside gatherings are topped at five hundred in my country. So the c- countries differ uh, in uh, their approach to that as well. But I get, I uh, hear that even in Germany there are a lot of things that will not take place in the end. Indeed, and one of those events that will unfortunately be cancelled is SkepCon, organized by German skeptic group Giviope uh, between 21st and 23rd of May. So, um, and if you have emailed us and applied for a ticket, unfortunately, well, you can't really get a ticket. So, um, no, no ticket, no ticket, no No ticket. We will take that ticket and frame it. And put it on a wall as a sad reminder of what could have been. Mm. But if if it all passes, if if everything back to normal, uh, summertime, I'm imagining the conferences will resume. I hope so. And they'll uh, they'll be better and bigger and more exciting. <laughs> it's a good thing that QED that is uh, coming up this year, later this year, is far enough in the calendar that we can we can still hope that it's taking place <laughs> oh yeah Ooh. all right so unfortunately no scapcon this year but i i'm i'm afraid it's not going to be the only one before we started recording we discussed uh, a, a couple of our own events uh with our own local chapters of ours our um, organizations and uh, unfortunately we are forced to to make the decision to cancel a couple of our events as well hmm. but since we are not 
sitting in the same room. So thanks to Skype, we can uh, do this. We are going to keep doing this podcast in the coming weeks and months as well. So we have a couple of regular segments, of which one will be skipped this week and will be replaced uh, with an interview. Yeah. Yes, so we, uh, Anders couldn't make it, unfortunately, but uh, Jelena and I talked to Annabel Bly the other day from the Antil podcast, and they, well, let's not go into much of a detail because it's explained in the interview, but they have an, uh, a series of uh, podcast episodes coming out about conspiracy theories. So, uh, yeah. yeah, so that was interesting. All right, why don't we start the episode? by listening to that interview. Every now and then we interview someone who might be interesting to our listeners and skeptics around Europe, either by representing a country or a project stretching across borders. With us now we have Annabel Bly from the Ant Hill podcast, who is launching a series of episodes about conspiracy theories. Annabel, welcome to the ESP. Thank you very much. Nice that you could join us. So, Annabel, you are one of the hosts of the Ant Hill podcast. Could you tell us a little bit about that podcast? Sure. So, the Ant Hill podcast is produced by a website called The Conversation, which is a news website that gives a platform for academics to reach the general public with their research, with their thinking on the big issues of the day. So, the Ant Hill runs series every every so often which kind of take a deep dive into various topics and our latest series is all about conspiracy theories so what kind of things did you cover in the past just give us the flavor so it's a real mix so the last series was called medicine made for you and it was all about the future of medicine becoming a lot more personalized and drugs becoming much more targeted to individuals and their genetics and stuff like that Mm-hmm. Um, and then the one before that was called To the Moon and Beyond, which was mm-hmm. all about, well, it was pegged to the 50th anniversary of the moon landings last summer. Right. But instead of kind of just focusing on 1969, like a lot of websites were doing, uh, we kind of started there, looked at the last 50 years of space travel, why humans stopped going to the moon and what the next 50 years might look like. Yeah. So now you're going to take on conspiracy theories, something that we talk about quite a lot on our podcast. So so why yep. did you choose that topic? Why is that important? And why are you doing that at this particular moment? So the initial reason that we we decided to explore the topic of conspiracy theories was when we did our To the Moon and Beyond series, we spoke mm. to an academic called Peter Knight, who's an expert in conspiracy theories. And we were talking to him about why lots of people still don't believe that the moon landings happened. Mm. And talking to him kind of was like opening Pandora's box of just the huge number of conspiracy theories that that go on. And he told us all about this big research network that he's part of, which started in 2016, where it's just a big, big project um, across Europe, studying conspiracy theories from lots of different angles. So bringing together lots of different academic disciplines to study conspiracy theories. Um, and I guess why it feels like such a big issue today is, you know, it kind of mixes together with issues like fake news and misinformation. And, you know, we have a president in the United States, the kind of most powerful country in the world, tweeting conspiracy theories, using conspiracy theories yeah. as a kind of political platform to to rally his base. And there just feels like a much greater not just awareness, but uh, power to conspiracy theories right now. Mm. And um, how many episodes will this series be? There's going to be five episodes. It's a fairly tight series and we'd sort of take a thematic approach. So it's not like each episode we focus on one specific conspiracy theory and analyze it, debunk it, find out why people believe in it. It's more kind of looking at things like why people believe in conspiracy theories. So the psychology behind the belief, the history of conspiracy theories. So while it feels like right now, particularly with the internet, it feels like 
lots of people are talking about conspiracy theories or they're very prominent. Actually, they have an incredibly long history kind of dating back to antiquity. I mean, some academics argue that they're kind of hardwired into the human brain to believe into conspiracy theories. Yeah, I guess what's new is that it's so easy to spread them nowadays. Yeah, definitely. So whereas 50 years ago, if you had some weird conspiracy theory and none of your immediate circle believed that, then Mm. you'd kind of be left your own devices or you probably just be forced into not really thinking about it but now obviously with the internet you can find that one other person or those five other people around the world that believe in that same theory as you Hmm. well and and also um i mean now when we're all connected interconnected there are things happening all over the world so last year i think there was a uh, conference of flat earth conference in in the uk um, yeah. that attracted hundreds of people from around around the globe, <laughs> ironically. Um, and they, of course, all knew about each other via the internet and those means. Totally. Uh, lots of the academics I've spoken to who have researched like the conspiracy theories in general, but stuff like the Flat Earth believers, it seems like it's a real community. So they've found each other online in forums it becomes a real part of their identity and who they have, the people that they have to talk to and have relationships with. Yeah. Yeah. We've we've spoken to someone who actually interviewed a couple of people who went to this uh, Flat Earth convention, Michael Marshall from Good Thinking Society. And, well, they almost make it sound like these type of beliefs help them deal with life. And it's, it was an interesting angle that um, we kind of yeah. saw in this in these beliefs. Yeah. So it's interesting that you said it's a psychological, comes from a psychological need, perhaps. So the series will be billed as Expert Guide to Conspiracy Theories. So who are these experts that you found? So a lot of them are involved in this European network of conspiracy theory researchers. So the majority, so there's about 150 academics as part, that are part of this network. Most of them are academics at universities across Europe, so like the UK, Ireland, Spain, Poland, Sweden, mm-hmm. Germany, all, all over. There's also, I mean, there's various academics from the States who, who've kind of come to, like, been, been involved in, in the research process as well, sharing their research at, at conferences. Lots of different academics. Some are social psychologists who run studies like lots of surveys asking people kind of what they believe, why they believe it. So lots of the psychology research shows that if you believe in one conspiracy theory, you're very likely to believe in lots of other conspiracy theories. Mm. If you're kind of at the extreme ends of the political spectrum, so left wing and right wing, you're more likely to believe in conspiracy theories. And then also in general, there's this whole thing around uncertainty and times of crisis. So right now, there's lots of conspiracy theories to do with coronavirus. And mm, it's like people's need to explain things, to, to have some sense of... Yeah, it's, it's a way of taking control of a very uncertain situation, right? You have found the answer why this is happening and nobody else believes you, but that makes you special because you're the one or one of the few who knows what's actually going on. I can see the attraction in that. Yeah, exactly. And mm. it's it's to explain events that are often very, very complicated to explain that mm. don't necessarily have a simple mm. answer, you know. Yeah. We don't know where coronavirus came from. No, exactly. So you want to know and you want yeah. to have a simple answer to a complex question. That's very often the case. You mentioned, just to go back a few steps, you mentioned flat earth conspiracy theory. That is, in a way, the, the conspiracy theories of conspiracy theories, because that's where you end up. Uh, will you talk especially about that or, or not? It's actually not one of the main conspiracy theories that we delve into in some ways it's quite a an outlier of a conspiracy theory in that there's no real conspiracy well like the conspiracy doesn't involve like who is pretending that the world is round the government nasa exactly right so is it okay is it for the nasa funding could be there's there's a very complicated explanation interestingly they try to simplify the whole thing but making it very complex (laughs) (laughs) 
Yeah, that is the classic conspiracy thing. It's like finding a simple answer to a very complex issue, but at the same time making it incredibly complicated. Yeah. So yeah. It's, it's kind it's, of it's impossible ironic. for uh-huh. someone who doesn't know about it to argue with them. Yes. Yeah. 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 So when does the um, uh, conspiracy theory comes out? The first episode came out on March the 16th, and they'll be coming out every Monday after that. Mm-hmm. Four more weeks. Oh, brilliant. Very good. And where can uh, people find the podcast? You can find the podcast anywhere. So On the usual platform. Yeah, wherever you get your podcasts from. All right. So the Antil podcast, that's what you should look for if you're interested. That's right. It sounds like a very exciting series of episodes. I'll definitely check it out. All right. Well, great. Uh, we wish you the best with this podcast. I'm sure it'll do really well. Thank you so much, uh, Annabelle, for coming on and uh, telling us about this great series. Yeah. Thanks very much. Yeah, thanks a lot. Thanks for having me. All right, moving on. I believe, Pontus, you've got something to poke the Pope for this week. Is that correct? I do. Okay. So, of course, even the Pope has to be about uh, the coronavirus a little bit this week. Yeah. So, it's when the shit hits the fan that you test how well your position works. Obviously, here at the ESP, we advocate for science and critical thinking, uh, where you don't start with a conclusion. You look as objectively as you can at the facts, and then you reach a decision on where you want to go. Not unsurprisingly, that is not how religions operate. By definition, really, if you already have locked down your truth and thrown away the key, you cannot adapt to changing situations and you can't act rationally. Uh, And it's not a bug uh, about religions. It's actually a feature. That's what they are so proud of. Blind faith is what they propagate. So what am I talking about? Yes, of course, coronavirus and COVID-19. And and this is a story that perfectly illustrates how wrong everything goes when you're guided by your faith rather than by reason. There is a cardinal called Angelo de Donatis, who is the, the de facto acting bishop of Rome in Pope Francis' name. He tried to do the rational thing and the right thing last week when he quite controversially decided to close all the churches in Rome because of the coronavirus pandemic. So that was a good move. Rational act by the Catholic Church? Not so fast, because it would have been a good decision if it hadn't been for dear old Frankie boy, because he didn't like it. We know from before that he really wants his flock to have their holy crackers served. And due to his job and to his beliefs, he cannot see rationally. You cannot close down the churches and deprive people of their god. So for Frankie, if the church isn't there for you in times of trouble, what good is it? That would expose to the world that the whole thing is a hoax. And uh, uh, the church can't help you when real trouble comes. And we know that, but Frankie doesn't want that known. So this cardinal, De Donatis, he, he got himself a good talking to from the bloody Pope. And together they reached the worst compromise you can imagine when it comes to limiting the pandemic. The day after his first decision to close all the churches, the Donatis declared that some churches, the ones that are official parish churches, they would stay open. And that means, of course, that instead of spreading out the churchgoers in, in many different places, you forced them to concentrate into a few crowded places uh, where you create an even greater risk that the virus can spread. But uh, for Francis, since his faith effectively prevents him from thinking rationally, that makes more sense. Too bad. I think sometimes when he thinks, he has just bad luck. (laughs) (laughs) His brain misfires? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, yeah, something like that. And then in the end, even Frankie couldn't totally ignore reality, so he had to decide that Easter will be sent on TV this year. No big crowds in the Vatican. But the point still stands, and some churches are still open because of Frankie. Oh. You know, you you get a little bit relieved when uh, when you hear that uh, the churches close down because they, they realize the, the necessity and they realize the, the gravity of the situation. And 
that tells you that even though they believe that God will intervene and God will will keep them safe, they make the, their own precautions. They, it's 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 better yeah. to be safe, right? It, it's almost like they didn't believe it themselves. Right? Yes, <laughs> yes. But when someone doesn't do that, when someone doesn't choose reason and make the reasonable decision. Uh, because of their faith that's what pisses me off uh, big time it's ugh. Mm. <laughs> so I think this poking was again well deserved but uh, we're moving on to discussing a couple of news items and I'd like to start with something that is uh, not necessarily skepticism related but uh, I, I, I just, I just wanted to talk about it because it's so fascinating. I've always been fascinated by uh, space science and space exploration, even before it was really mainstream. But this one really caught my eye. It, it was an article um, published in Nature with um, uh, a title: "Nightside condensation of iron in an ultra hot giant exoplanet." It's been done by a research team, a very large. Uh, research team involving European and uh, South American uh, Chilean researchers because it was a European Southern Observatory's very large telescope in Chile that was used for this exploration. It's called the Espresso Instrument. And what the journal Nature published was about an exoplanet that's called WASP-76b. <laughs> well, that's quite catchy for once. Oh, yeah. Wasp. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. And yeah. it's very close. In astronomical terms, it's uh, very close to us because it's only 390 light years away. Unfortunately, there's a travel ban, so we can't go there right now. Yeah, I think we're, yeah, we're, <laughs> we're all grounded here. Uh, yeah. Earth, earthed. Or... They don't want COVID-19 over there. Yeah, yeah. So. It, the planet itself is um, is very much like uh, Jupiter, so it's it's pretty fucking big, <laughs> but it's not the most important characteristic of it. It's the high temperature atmosphere, that is very interesting. Well, it's over two thousand Kelvin, so we're we're talking about far above two thousand degrees Celsius, in which the iron that they found through measurements of spectroscopy and uh, the absorption of the of the star's light that this uh, planet revolves around it's very high in iron the atmosphere itself and it's a fascinating piece of research by the way how they can tell you from this distance they don't see the freaking planet but they can measure what it's like on one side of the planet and on the other side of the planet and on one side of the planet there are winds the on the other side of the planet there are no winds and uh, the difference between the the night and the the day temperatures on the planet can be as high as 1000 degrees celsius mm. so they theorize that under the day conditions the iron that's in the atmosphere can actually vaporize. So it's we we all always think about iron as either a solid state material or something that flows uh, when we think of the the lava flow like things that that they they glow and and that's that's how when you really heat the iron up it, it starts glowing. So this is how we think about iron, but never as something that can vaporize. So they theorize that it can vaporize, but then as the temperature drops, it starts condensing, and then actual iron rains can occur on that planet. Mm. So why I thought it was important for us to to mention this on the show is because it gives you like an escape from from all this coronavirus uh, madness and what's <laughs> happening on our right. Earth. So you think we have problems? Yes. <laughs> Go over to the wasp, whatever, and then stand in the iron rain, and then you can complain. A bit. Oh, exactly. So uh, that yeah. that is just just fantastic. That there are worlds even more hostile than our own Earth like now with this uh, uh silent and invisible killer <laughs> that we have to fight so yeah there are places where actually it rains iron mm. all right and it's fascinating how many things there are out there in the universe that we don't even think of so <laughs> free your minds people 
<laughs> All right, maybe we should get back to Earth a little bit. <laughs> yeah. Uh, th- this next item has been getting quite some coverage in Sweden over a few years, actually. Two midwives have driven the case that they should be allowed not to participate in abortions or contraceptions of any kind due to their religious beliefs. And that has been rejected by the Swedish uh, medical system. The midwives have argued that they have been victims of religious persecution when they have been told they cannot opt out of certain parts that they are expected to do by their employers. And they have driven this unsuccessfully as far as they could in the Swedish courts and now their last hope was to go to the European Court of Human Rights, also known as the Strasbourg Court. Uh, But now they have been rejected there too. The court said that they will not even try the case and they quoted the Swedish discrimination ombudsman who has said that this is not a religious discrimination because if they had refused on other grounds than religion, they had been treated the same. So it's also been said that it's not a human right for nursing staff to refuse to provide care, which sums it up pretty clearly, I think. So basically, go home and do your job or get another profession. Um, However, here comes a bonkers little twist on the whole thing. One of these midwives is from Norway, and she has declared that she will now go back to Norway and work there instead, because apparently Norway, she will be able to choose not to do certain parts of the job. Good for her. (laughs) There you go. Don't let your religious beliefs get in the way of your profession and when you decide to get a profession please pick one that is okay with you that's where you can actually feel comfortable of doing uh, whatever it's you're supposed to be doing yeah so the homeopathy is offering solution for all problems uh in the world very um uh, relevant due to everything that's going on with the coronavirus but uh in any case they uh, there have been a manifesto issued uh so the name is very long. A manifesto of the European Committee for Homeopathy and the European Federation of Homeopathic Patients Association. Olé. So these, this manifesto summarizes how homeopathy can help us all. Uh, they obviously it relates to the health, and so they they they're going over same points that um, the homeopaths um, and all those organizations supporting the homeopathic practices talked about for for a long time. So they say that homeopathy will help reduce the need for antibiotics in human and veterinary healthcare, thus reducing the problem of antimicrobial resistance, that homeopathy will increase quality of life, reduce severity of complaints in patients with chronic disease when integrated in healthcare, can reduce the use of long-term conventional prescription drugs, can lead to lower healthcare costs when integrated in healthcare, is safe with high patient satisfaction, patients using homeopathy have better outcomes than users of conventional treatment. (laughs) I'm struggling to keep my face straight at this point. So... No, the answer is no. It will not. (laughs) Yes, the answer is no. (laughs) Big fat no. And then they're referring to a few studies in this manifesto, cherry-picked as per usual, and um, outlining this as scientific evidence for the highest caliber that confirms the clinical efficacy. Uh, and also the evidence uh, that the homeopathy works. So our friend Edzard Ernst, whose blog we follow uh, very closely, has published um, a post about this recently where he outlines... <laughs> the the main points that I've just uh discuss, that I've just mentioned and how none of this makes any sense and basically you can just add not in front of every single statement and that's what it does so it doesn't lead to lower healthcare <laughs> costs or safe or uh, increases uh, patient satisfaction or help reduce the need of antibiotics etc so what's interesting is uh, I wonder this now agenda they they pushing, you know, especially one point kind of concerned me, where they say homeopathy can lead to lower healthcare costs. It, it might uh, grab attention of some 
uh, people within the health uh, care uh, organizations. I hope not, but as a as a way out and saving costs, etc. The truth of the matter still is homeopathy doesn't work. It doesn't do anything apart from the placebo effect, and it should not be advocated on any level. I'm actually surprised. I've, I haven't heard of. I don't think I've heard of European Committee for Homeopathy. Have I? Or no. European Federation, but I'm not surprised. I'm not surprised that there is one. Yeah. <laughs> European Federation of Homeopathic Patients Association. I haven't definitely heard of that. So yeah. these are all very seriously sounding names, but again, they stand behind uh, practice that is, um, in some cases, even harmful. Never mind, doesn't co- cause any, any harm, but actually harmful. So nothing new here, I guess, uh, but just they keep banging the same drum over and over again, hoping to get some traction. And I am hopeful that it's it's in vain and more and more people educating themselves on this subject. Almost sounds like you don't like homeopathy, Jelena. <laughs> somewhat. Uh, 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 yeah, I am somewhat biased. <laughs> yeah, in that case, in that case, I have good news. And I must admit to a certain amount of schadenfreude and satisfaction about this item. (laughs) We have talked about uh, the big homeopathy company called Boiron several times, Mm -hmm. including we mentioned them when France decided last year to phase out public funding for homeopathy. And we said at the time that uh, this will be a problem for them. Uh, Boiron gets 60% of their revenue from the French market. Well... Now, it turns out we're right. Boiron has declared that they will close 13 of their 31 facilities in France and they will let 646 employees go due to less demand for their bogus products. So 646 employees, no, sorry, 646 employees, that's about a quarter of the Boiron staff in France. Yay! What did they do, actually? Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Put nothing into the nothing that they didn't sell yeah, And then they something. shook it really vigorously, remember? And then um, <laughs> yeah. beaten it with the Bible. They, they could be all salespeople, actually. It could be. Yeah, I think, I think so. Yeah. Or uh, I like Jelena's idea as well. They go around and shake everything <laughs> oh. in a special way. <laughs> That that means that they will be able to find a new job very quickly. <laughs> <laughs> what what is your background and what are your skills? <laughs> yeah, I can shake things very very well. There is a certain area, I there is a certain business talent. that would accept these people who can shake things up. You know, like yeah, yeah. Uh, for example, debt collect debt yeah. collection. Well, but things are looking very shaky uh, now. So shaky for the homeopathic <laughs> business. Very good. Anyway. So I must say, I, I usually don't celebrate when people lose their jobs, but um, I'm, I'm sure also that this is a personal blow for a number of individuals, but I don't know how many times we have explained this. Homeopathy is just sugar pills with no active ingredient in it whatsoever. It's fake medicine and should not be allowed to be sold as anything else uh, than candy, perhaps. <laughs> so uh, so maybe they can go all into the candy business instead. But even then, you have to be very careful because it's uh, mostly lactose ah. that, that they use for the, the little... Pills, the globally. The globally, yeah. The, I didn't think of that. Yeah, those little granules uh, are mostly made of lactose. So anyone who's lactose intolerant should be very careful in taking homeopathic remedies. I'm sure there's a homeopathic treatment for that. So, <laughs> And we had that issue with someone when we did the homeopathic challenge, the overdose. Oh. Because there was one guy. No, really? So they become sick. Oh, that yes. sort of defeat it's the point when you try to dis- that was, demonstrate that yeah. it doesn't do anything. Mm. Yeah, it did. It did do something because the <laughs> poor guy was having a terrible diarrhea for two days afterwards. <laughs> yeah, but no effect <laughs> other than that. All right. Mm. I'm not sure I should be going back to uh, talking about COVID-19, but there is an interesting thing that we can do. So while the, the chances of developing a vaccine within the time frame that can help in this particular outbreak of COVID-19 are very slim, uh, there might... Uh, be one available i mean um, uh, a vaccine within 18 or 24 months from now that can prevent sars-cov-2 the virus responsible for it to cause another one in the future 
But developing a vaccine or even antiviral cures requires not only a whole lot of testing, but also simulations. What simulations? It's all about the proteins that play an important role in the enveloping, binding and building of viruses. So the deeper we understand how they work, those proteins, the better we can develop countermeasures for their advance. But proteins, however fascinating they are, they are very complex, right? It's one thing they have a sequence of amino acids that determine their basic characteristics, that's determined by the base pairs uh, in the nucle nucleotide base pairs. But those amino acids behave differently when binding to each other within the chain and outside of it. So they have a so-called secondary structure. It's basically the, the shape they start to take after synthesis. But it doesn't stop there. Those structures can form even more complex three-dimensional forms that are called tertiary structures. As those interact with their environment and other tertiary structures, they form the final or quaternary structure. Now, modeling the later two stages is mind-blowingly complex of a task. We can only try to model and understand that with a lot of computing capacity, which is something most labs do not have on their own at hand. That's why Pande Laboratory at Stanford University developed a tool called Folding at Home, a distributed computing project that can be used to simulate protein folding, the, the three-dimensional structure of complex proteins. In medical research, this is an amazingly useful tool, and it has been widely used since 2000 when it was launched. So, basically, it works by allocating your computer's idle capacities to computing tasks using either the CPU or the GPU of your computer once you've installed the application on your machine. These packages, distributed among hundreds of thousands of computers, can significantly reduce the time required to do the calculations, which would otherwise be necessary to be made on a very powerful machine that these labs don't have access to. In the end of February, this is why I'm, I'm talking about this, Folding at Home announced to help vaccine developments against SARS-CoV-2 by using computer simulations to understand the structure of the bonding proteins, or the spikes, as they're called, of the virus. So if you want to help researchers in their efforts to develop a vaccine, here's your chance. Mm. Follow the link to their website. You'll find it among the show notes. Download the software and leave your computer running while you're, while you're not using it. It'll most likely do some tasks even while you are working with it, but it'll only use your computer's idle capacities. So we're all in this together. Why not have the researchers in our sleep? Yeah, very good. And especially now since the Bitcoin has fallen, I thought I think it fell 50% the other day. So you don't have to use your computer to mine big Bitcoins anymore. Oh, yeah, that's right. So use it for something good. Use it to fold proteins exactly. for folding at home. Yeah, I've been doing it for a while. So uh, I just uh, wanted to mention that this is because it's it's used in medical research in general uh, for for several different uh, proteins. Yeah, that needs it's because it's, it's mind blowingly complex the structure of these proteins. Mm. And think of it that how many different factors you have to take into account when you want to model the the three dimensional structure of a protein. It's you cannot even imagine it. But when you add up all those computing capacities, you can achieve great things. So, people, if you want to help out, do that. Great. So now I have a follow-up from episode 209 when I talked about a Swedish acupuncturist that was freed from manslaughter uh, after a client. And I refuse to say patient, even if all the reporting says it was the acupuncturist's patient, but it's not a patient, it's a client. Anyway, this client died, died after a visit at the... the the acupuncturist. It seems clear that this nut job punctured the pericardium, which is the sac surrounding the heart. So the person died after the pericardium was filled up with fluids to the point where the heart could no longer beat. Now the full picture is that the person was suffering from leukemia and the court didn't find it proven that the fluids were not due to that illness. They couldn't say maybe it was the acupuncture, maybe it was the, the, the illness. Regrettably, I think, the acupuncturist was freed 
But now the news is that the verdict has been appealed by the prosecutor and the case will be tried in a higher court. And that's a good thing. Because how is it possible that it's legal for a person without formal training in medicine to push needles into people's hearts? And also, I wonder still why this person wasn't charged for illegally treating a cancer patient, because that's what she did. Yeah. We will follow up and see how it goes in the next round in the courts. Mm-hmm. Talking about bogus stuff, <laughs> sometimes even authorities can um, issue some recommendations. It was a very good catch by uh, one of our followers, the followers of the Hungarian Skeptic Society, that... Um, Shomot County Local Government Health Services uh, issued a leaflet about the the health recommendations regarding electrosmog. Have you ever heard of electrosmog? Mm, yeah. Well, it's what they use for um, the all the electromagnetic radiation that we experience in our everyday life and that, according to some people, it shouldn't be there because it has adverse health effects and uh, we should be very careful with them. And uh, so much so that even this local authority of the health services thought it important to give advice to people about how to avoid all that radiation but the problem is that the the premise of the whole leaflet is false they start out by by stating that our bodies are very sensitive to changes in the electromagnetic fields and uh, they give an example as uh, how a mood change or even a headache can be caused by a change of weather. So at its start, it's a false premise because it has <laughs> nothing to do with the, the weather change, has nothing to do with electromagnetic radiation. Hmm. Then they say, start listing the physiological effects of electrosmog. And they keep using the word electrosmog, which is bogus by itself. Hmm. Uh, and they list a couple of things that are very scary. So uh, from circulatory issues to uh, neurological issues and uh, how our respiratory system can be affected. And of course, they go on t- telling you how to turn everything off while you sleep and while you don't use them. Don't keep anything next to your heads. Even MP3 players are on the list of banned things to use uh, very frequently. I don't know why, because an MP3 player does not really emit too much of electromagnetic radiation. But the, but the, the, the most important thing to, to say, say about this is it doesn't mention the fact that all these electromagnetic fields that we have in our everyday lives surrounding us, these belong to the so-called non ionizing radiations and non-ionizing radiations although they are put in the so-called second class of uh, radiations that might have some kind of effect there is no actual link between any of the these uh, electromagnetic magnetic radiations and any adverse health effects so it's really really something that it misleads the public if some if local authority issues a leaflet like this and we shouldn't be doing that mm-hmm. so when we talk about electrosmog we have to be very careful electrosmog should not be used as a word to explain any of those electromagnetic fields and radiations hmm. all right our next news comes from spain and it was sent in by listener bob Thanks a lot, Bob. Bob sends us little tips from time to time. Much appreciated. And if you... Very good ones, yeah. <laughs> yeah, and if you have some news that you want us to cover, you should do so too. Send it to info at the ESP.eu. Anyway, uh, this is about blasphemy laws. And we know that many European countries still have some versions of blasphemy laws or laws against quote-unquote religious insult. These countries include Andorra, Cyprus, Croatia... Czech Republic, Finland, Germany, Italy, Lithuania, Poland, Portugal, Russia, Slovakia, uh, Switzerland, Turkey, Ukraine. So it's quite a few. And of course, in this case, Spain. There is a Spanish actor called Willy Toledo. 
And I think, I don't know, I don't know Willy Toledo, but that sounds like a stage name. Anyway, he, he is a Spanish actor and he, he has been on trial for posting on Facebook in 2017 some foul language mentioning God and the Virgin Mary. This was apropos another trial against three women who organized something they called the Procession of the Insubordinate Pussy. <laughs> <laughs> Which sounds like a lot of fun, actually, to be honest. I don't know exactly what it was. But uh, um, anyway, it was not something that people liked. So they got into a trial and he objected to their trial by posting some profanities on, on uh, Facebook. As a result of those posts, a court case was filed against him by the Spanish Association of Christian Lawyers, no less, for quote-unquote offending religious sentiment. Now this ruling is pub is ready, and um, it, by the way, it can be appealed. So we haven't heard the last of this yet, but they decided now to free Toledo from the charges, and that's good news. Of course, people should be allowed to say bad things about God and and the Virgin Mary, and to criticize religion in general. But I think this is still bad because the reason he was acquitted it was not because the law is stupid and should be invalid, he was acquitted only because he was successfully arguing in court that his posts were not directed against religion as such. He just used the religious words for emphasis to highlight his disgust against that other thing that he was protesting. He actually had to say in court, and I quote, my intention was to exercise my rights of freedom of, freedom of expression, not to offend anyone, end quote. So he had to sort of apologize in public. So the law is still there and it's in effect. And even if we're happy that this guy was not convicted, it is crazy that it's quite possible in the year 2020 to get punished for quote unquote offending religious sentiment. And that's just nuts. Mm -hmm. It is. Mm. The blasphemy laws should not be there at all. No. In any of the country's no. legal system. Mm. I want to finish uh, the new segment on good news. <laughs> That's what we need. Mm. Exactly. <laughs> I support that. So this is from uh, our friends, German skeptics, Give You a Pair. They were reporting on various um, awards that were given to various um, skeptic blogs, um, etc. So I want to mention a couple of those people. The, there was uh, something called Golden Blogger 2019 Award, and um, the results were announced recently like like uh, last week um and the blogger of the year award went to volksverpretzer website these guys blog of course in german google translate does wonderful things with translating that website they cover all sorts of conspiracy theories um misinformation the dangers of alternative uh, medicine and publish um interesting articles on on the topic so they they've uh, they've, they've won that uh, that award another uh, person to receive the award was the um author of the book translation for which is instructions for contradiction Anleitung zum Widerspruch. Uh, and uh, nailed it. <laughs> Sorry, you nailed it. Yeah, that sounds good. Uh, and uh, she, uh, her name is Francie von Kempis. So basically, she's advocating for this uh, for this view that we've uh, often talked about and we're kind of aware of that you're not necessarily going to convince someone who made their minds up, but if by discussing the ideas with that person, you might engage people who are still on the fence or yeah. observers or just listening. Sure. Um, and so it is important to keep going um, and how to structure the, these conversations uh, to make them more productive. So that's that's the book in German again available on all sorts of places where you would get your book normally amazon etc not sure about translation um don't know if it's been if it's going to be translated or not but watch that space and uh the last personality media presence that i want to mention who got the award is a twitter account erzechlmirniks <laughs> I don't even know what that means. If, if even if it means anything, we're gonna link it in our show notes. Pretty popular account by the looks of it and by the followers. And this account states the the tagline uh, underneath this account is "ugly left green stained paint comics." And so what this account does, uh, or people behind this account, they draw 
um, sort of very simple, funny-looking comics uh, around uh, various th- things, including um, climate change, uh, again, conspiracy th- theories, etc., and presenting it in this kind of fun, comic-y type of way, trying to reach that audience, you know, the the, the geeks. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. Again, every everything that I've mentioned here uh, in the awards, um, of course, uh, for German speakers, uh, and um, and I and I believe that these are all well deserved. So, uh, just something good. Great. All right, and that concludes our uh, news segment, which was pretty lengthy. But uh, considering that uh, on our last episode it was uh, a double interview episode instead of uh, mentioning news and stuff, uh, I think it's understandable. But we are moving on to discussing who's been really wrong lately. So we have a short and predictable one this week. And of course, it's about COVID-19. And of course, it's another proof that religion is inherently flawed when it comes to dealing with reality and that it is dangerous. So this comes from Poland, which I'm afraid uses a language that basically only uses consonants, which means I will butcher all the names here. and I'm sorry for that, but I'm doing my best here. So this is about the Archbishop of Szczecin Kamienj. <laughs> uh, those are two different cities in, in Poland. And a guy is called Andrzej Ziega. He sent out a letter to his congregation assuring everyone that it is impossible to catch COVID-19 from holy water or the communion. My ass it is, yeah. No, the holy water is safe because the devil is afraid of it and will not go near it. Also, pastors will make sure that it is always fresh and renewed at least once a week. Jesus Come Christ on. Almighty! And now we're wondering why it's uh, the, the Europe became the epicenter. Of... <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Very good. Fucking Point. church buildings everywhere. Oh yeah. About the communion. Yeah. He said, uh, and I think my Google Translate got it perfectly right this time, considering this is the Catholic Church. My Google Translate goes like this: Don't be, don't be afraid of it. He said. Take the Holy Communion on your knees and in your mouth. Maybe it's just me, but if a Catholic priest tells me to get on my knees while he puts something in my mouth, I would think twice about it. (laughs) And I think maybe we have found now how how the whole molesting thing started once upon a time. I don't know why you're saying that. Don't worry, my son. It is holy. Just shut your eyes and open your mouth. Oh, no. All right, father. Is it off? Okay, if I bite real hard, then... No, no, son, don't do that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's with the, with the Holy Communion, because you have to melt it in your mouth oh. very gently. You, oh. have to, <laughs> you don't chew on it. Oh, fuck. Okay. <laughs> Jesus what, Christ, well, how, it, how did it all end up here? <laughs> uh, yeah, I don't know. I don't know. It was Pontius bringing it <laughs> this up. This is your European porn star podcast. <laughs> I... No, it's just a regular day at the Catholic Church. Yeah, Yeah, right. Okay. (laughs) So, uh, okay, let's see. Uh, What else did this guy say? Well, he said, uh, Christ does not spread germs or viruses. Well, maybe he doesn't, but you do, idiot, (laughs) because you're handing out these crackers and just uh, uh, changing the water every week. Um, And Christ is not there anyway. No, no, no. Yeah. So, um, short and sweet, for illustrating again why religious beliefs are not just irrational and illogical, but often outright dangerous, Archbishop Andrzej Ciega gets today's prize for being really wrong. Well deserved, (laughs) once again. Thank you very much, Pontus. Thank you. And that concludes our show. Mm -hmm. Uh, So, but before we go, Jelena, have you got a quote for us to finish on? I do have a quote. It comes from Italy. <laughs> ah, okay. No, it's, uh, well, it's just ironic because you know everybody's dead there. So, uh, anyways, <laughs> also from a dead person called Marcus Aurelius. Um, uh, he has been dead for a while. Yes, for a while. I thought yeah, eighteen hundred years or so. <laughs> yeah, hmm. nothing to do with coronavirus. And he said, "Never let the future disturb you. You will meet it if you have to with the same weapons of reason which today 
arm you against the present. Uh oh. Mm. We're all screwed. No. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. And on this note, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, well. Uh, I am optimistic about the future, even though the world seems upside down right now. And yeah, at the uh, moment. it will develop into even more like that, I think. But uh, we mustn't forget that in the past, there have been great things achieved in times of uh, closures. I don't know if you're aware of that, but you must have heard about the Great Plague in England mm -hmm. in the 1600s, in the, in the mid-17th century. The time of Isaac Newton. And you know, the University of Cambridge closed down because of the Great Plague to prevent it from spreading further. And that's how, when he was at home for almost two years doing private studies at home, that's how he came up with calculus, developed his theories in optics and the law of gravitation. Yeah. So who knows what people will come up in their isolation in the next couple of months. So people <laughs> just... Keep your mind at work sure. and uh, it will all be all right. Yeah, everybody go home and be the, become the new Isaac Newton. That's good. Exactly. I, th I think that's a, that's a good prospect. Mm -hmm. yeah. I think it's, yeah, there's, yeah. There's, there's a silver lining for you. Yeah, or Marcus Aurelius, but don't, don't fight the people in Germany, please. <laughs> <laughs> they're not barbaric people. Well, they're no. not letting you into the country anymore, so <laughs> and you can't yeah, do it. That's, that's the other thing. So, yeah, people of the Alps are amazing, very, very peaceful people. And they are struggling with this uh, virus as well. So, anyhow, <laughs> let's just finish this. Thank you very much, Jelena and Pontus, for joining me today. Thank you. Thanks, guys. I'd like to thank our listeners as well for tuning in. Please keep doing so. Uh, you won't have uh, much else to do anyway. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. But until next week, goodbye. Пока, пока. Hey, do. Bis dann. This has been your ESP experience. The show is produced and recorded by the ESP.eu. Join us again next time, but until then, please send your feedback, comments or death threats to info at the ESP.eu. We would also love to hear your ideas and suggestions regarding future episodes, as well as news from your country of residence that might interest others across the continent. If you have a local event or organization to promote, please don't hesitate to let us know as we are more than happy to help. All music in the program was written and performed by Keisha J. Gray and George Schraub and is used with their permission. Please check out our webpage at www.theesp.eu, follow us on Twitter at espodcast.eu and like us on Facebook. I don't know how you can believe Wash your hands. I my hands are all like St knackered. Yeah, me mine too. I'm washing in too much. <laughs> no. Touching my face. Yeah, and don't touch your face. <laughs> don't touch your face. Uh we have a ban of gathering of people. What? <laughs> <laughs> She's listening. The big brother is still listening. What? What did I say? Something that that included Siri. <laughs> it was very serious. No, I wasn't that. And in astrological, uh, not astrological. Sorry, in astronomical terms. <laughs> <laughs> uh -oh. Uh -oh. It's just be between Virgo and the uh, Scorpio. Yeah. That's, yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <clears throat> okay, so there's one for the outtakes, Yelena. <laughs> yeah. Have you got a quote for us to finish on? Without I do. typing. Oh, hang on. I, I'm typing. typing. I'm while typing. You're I don't have a quote. No. <laughs>